Welcome to all of our IOM friends and other guests to the ministry of our Resolute Hope. Special thanks to Dr. Stephen Finney, president of IOM. He and I are going to be sharing a podcast where we discuss my new book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. I wrote that book to help people find God in such a way that they can get through what it seems they cannot get over. It's going to be a very special podcast and I wanted to share with you in a link below an ebook free to you from one of the chapters of the book. Just click on that link. I hope it will encourage you and maybe lead you to get the whole book and allow the Holy Spirit through the truth of our Father's Word comfort you, encourage you, and strengthen you to get through what you cannot get over. Bless you, and as always, choose hope, choose Jesus. a little bit about uh, Resolute Hope. Um, we used to be called Living in Grace. And, you know, back uh, years ago when you were starting and I was starting and many of these dear friends were starting, we swam against the stream, bringing grace to a very legalistic church in America. And now grace has kind of exploded. And my fear is it's become a buzzword. And uh, we're missing, it's grace without Jesus. And so we decided to change our name and almost distance ourselves from grace um, and talk about this issue of hope. Uh, you know, if there's one thing man can't live without in a fallen world, it's hope. And we've got that great verse in Hebrews that Jesus is an anchor for our souls. And so we decided with that firm anchor that he is our resolute hope. And so we're trying to shift our emphasis of ministry uh, away from the message of grace to the living Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, Frank, the title of your book, obviously communicates the struggles that people have in regard to the pain and suffering. And we got a lot of questions that came in as people registered. Okay. And most of those questions are about the, the logic that, or in some cases, people stated what appears to be a lack of logic on God's part for us to be allowed as his children to go through such pain and suffering. So I think this is a, a topic that needs to be discussed for certain. So could you elaborate a little bit on exactly why you wrote the book? Well, that's a, a great start, Stephen. Um, the book was originally titled, How Long Will It Hurt? Um, but a buddy of mine sent me that picture and he is uh, struggling with cancer 
And he was out and he sent me in, out of the blue. And so I looked at it and I said, oh, my goodness, that's got to be the cover because it captures, you know, I think what people in pain feel. It was a very gray day. And, you know, uh, pain and hurt has a way of removing the color from your life and it turns everything gray. And so my editor said, we got to change the title if you're married to that picture. And I said, I'm married to that picture. So that's what we did. And one of the things that I'm constantly telling people, Stephen, is that we are all living in a world that we were not designed to live in. We were designed for the Garden of Eden. And if you hadn't noticed, this isn't it. <laughs> and uh, that means we're all going to be experiencing things uh, that we were never designed to experience. And so we've got these hurts and pains and frustrations and sorrows and losses and blocked dreams. And it can be a very lonely road um, because nobody really gets it other than the one that's going through it in that moment. And even if I went through what someone else is going through, I don't know what they're feeling right now. And so it can be a very lonely path. In fact, the guy on the cover of that book asked me about it, the title, and I said, walking with pain is a turnstile. Nobody gets to go through it with you and you don't get to bring any luggage with you. Um, you're going through it alone. And that's why we titled it the, that we've got to find God in the midst of this gray, because he's the only one that really gets it. And he's really the only one that can get us through what we can't get over. Yeah, you talk about the uh, normal response to pain. Could you expound on that a little bit? Oh, absolutely, because I did it very well. <laughs> uh, in the book, I use the illustration of your hand hitting a hot burner, a hot stove, and what do you do? Boy, you recoil. Nobody likes to hurt. And so our normal response when we get hurt is to run from it. And there's so many ways that are available to us as human beings to do that. Uh, we minimize the pain. You know, say, oh, that's okay. It didn't matter. Uh, you know, we'll say sometimes, well, you know, like, like if a father was abusive, well, he was abused too, you know, and uh so we minimize it. We compare our pain to others. Sometimes we just outright deny it. And probably one of the best ways is to anesthetize it. And again, there's just so many avenues for that. Uh, when we say anesthetize instantly, people think of drugs and alcohol. Uh, but, you know, workaholism is a way to anesthetize the pain. Recreationalism, uh, just keep busy so we don't have to think about it. Uh, anything we can do. Thank to you. avoid pain, because it's no fun to have pain. And that's really what most people on planet Earth do. Yeah, in one of your chapters, I believe that you entitled it the Faithless Facade. What did you mean exactly by that? Well, um, the church in my 40 years of ministry, um, and keep in mind here, Stephen, when I talk about the church negatively. Uh, I love the church. I'm in the church. I will, Lord willing, always be in the church. Uh, but sometimes 
uh, you have to fight against her in order to fight for her. And I steal that line from an event that happened with my son. Very, very wonderful young man, very easy going, easy to work with. Uh, but as he got bigger one time, we got in a little, little uh, verbal tiff. And so it was getting louder and louder and louder. And so I put my finger up like that. And I said, you listen to me, boy, I'll fight for you, even if I have to fight against you. And he did sort of a shock look at me. And he says, dad, that was a good one. I said, yeah, wait here. I got to go write that down. And <laughs> I use that for the church. I love the church, but sometimes we have to fight against her in order to fight for her. And the thing that I would say is that the church, in my opinion, doesn't know what to do with hurting people. Um, you know, we talk about victory in Jesus, the abundant life. And then when we see people that are hurting, uh, they're almost bad advertising for the church, you know? And so we say, say things like, get over that, trust God. Uh, all things work together for good. Don't you know that? And it's my, my observation is that we'll give people a long time to heal from physical pain, surgeries, car accidents. But when it comes to emotional trauma, it's almost like we expect them to snap out of it. And um, so that's what people end up doing. Uh, they wear the facade. They show up at church with the Sunday smile and the plastic face. And inside... Uh, they're dying, but they can't be honest about it. Uh, we just don't provide a safe enough place for them. You use the term uh, this faithless facade and how it is like a pandemic within the church. So expound on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I really believe in this dishonesty that we're presenting. Uh, and we have this uh, facade of everything's all together. We've got it together. Look at us. We're the church. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like, hey, my mom died yesterday. Dad was just diagnosed with cancer. Well, praise the Lord. Um, that's not only is it dishonest, uh, but it's not genuine. And there's a hurting world out there. And when they look at the church, they see through it in a heartbeat. Um, and then we say, you want to join us? I mean, no, I don't think so. Uh, but my, my conviction is if we would get honest about our hurt and, and share that hurt, and if the body of Christ could respond to those hurting people, uh, then I think the world would look at us and they'd say, huh, they hurt too, uh, but they've got something we don't have. And then maybe they would investigate it. But that Sunday smile and plastic face, uh, I think the church sees through it in, in an instant and just doesn't want a part of it. They're looking for reality. They're looking for integrity. They're looking for something genuine and real. And I believe that Christians are the only real people in the world that can have tears streaming down their cheeks from pain and hurt and peace and joy on our face at the same time. Supernatural, because Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit is comforting us, giving us his peace in the midst of our pain, uh, his joy in the midst of our tears, and that's supernatural. 
And if we would just do that, then the world would go, wow, look at those people. I think I better investigate. So that's why I see this dishonesty as, and as such a problem. It creates an inauthentic witness to the world. Okay, so <clears throat> what you're saying is that the people who are experiencing pain and suffering, that they should just simply be honest with what they're suffering with and not try to put on some kind of, you know, mask saying that they're a strong Christian. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And and unfortunately, the problem is you're, you're probably going to fulfill the title of the book and be very lonely because the church uh, doesn't seem to like that. When our little one, our youngest, was really going through some dark days, you know, it was seven, eight months in ICU and five cardiac arrests and overdosed by a doctor. Uh, I had this woman call me up and she said, uh, how are you doing? Well, I made the mistake of thinking she really wanted to know. So I told her, I said, we're, we're fearful and we're tired and there's some anxiety. And, and, uh, and she goes, well, that's not of God. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, it's human. And last time I checked, that's what I am. And so I got to have this conversation with her about how she was really perverting the gospel uh, because our savior is known as the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Uh, he wept when Lazarus died. Uh, I think that's to set an example for us. And it was also his heart. You know, when you're a human being and you're, one of your best friends dies, uh, you don't put on an English, oh, cheerio, he's in heaven now. You, you know, you, it's, you, you're real, it hurts. You're rejoicing for them to be in heaven, but there's a loss. And, and I think in the church, Stephen, if we just run with this for a minute, we love the idea of being conformed to the image of Christ. You know, the joy, the peace, the righteousness. Uh, but what about being conformed and becoming a man or a woman of sorrows and grief? Uh, when I share that, I mean, it's almost like people go, oh, well, that's an elective course, right? And unfortunately, it is. Because... You can say in your heart, I don't want to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I don't want to be a woman like that. And then we deny, anesthetize, run from, and present a, a dishonest faith. When really, if we would embrace it, become the man or woman of sorrows acquainted with grief, and find God in a way we never knew him in that sorrow and grief, we will become dangerous men and women in the kingdom because the world will look at us and they go, hey, they get it. They're living in the same world I am, but they've got something. And I think in the book, even I said that those kinds of people are the spiritual special forces in the kingdom because yeah. they're on the front lines where the real battles are being fought, where people are, are dying and, and sick and, and being cheated on and hurt and betrayed and, most of us in the body of Christ, I'm afraid, just don't want to spend time with those people because it's it's hard and it's messy. Uh, but we who get it will be dangerous. We really will.